Thank you so much for having me. Had a blast in the first service, but um, if you're like my church, the 11 o'clock's the wild bunch, right? Oh, so good. We had a great time with the men's breakfast at well. I just want to say thank you, Pastor Brad. Thank you, Pastor Beth, for, for having us. Enjoy just to hang out, encouraged by you. Um, back to North Central days, one of the things that stands out was the fact that, I mean, I was a, a quiet, shy guy, and Pastor Brad embraced me, and um, it made me feel good, and made me feel that I mattered, and we played ball, and my goal in life at North Central was to be able to jump as high as him. I never got there, Such and, and to play as well as he played. Great, great ball player, and I'm just so grateful that we were able to connect uh, on Facebook. He's been such an encouragement to me, and I just want to say thank you for your hospitality. Honored to be here with you. Can you honor your pastor and his wife this morning? Put your hands together and honor them. Thank you. So, my wife, Annette, is here this Wednesday. We will have been married 20 years. Love you, Annette. Thank you. And sitting next to her is my daughter who just turned 12. I know, Savannah, you think you turned 19. That's not the case. It's 12. So love my daughter. And then my little boy, Ashton, will be nine here in a couple of weeks. And he is at Faith Church Kids right now. How cool is that? My mother-in-law, Diana, is with us. We have some great friends, Frank and Lori, their daughter, Lindsay, is with us as well. So um, just honored to, to be here today. And like Pastor Brad mentioned, um, I released this book called 41 Will Come. I'm going to tell you a lot more about it throughout the message. But I do want to say it, um, it is available here today. If you'd like a copy, if you'd like me to sign it or personalize it, I would be happy to do that. One of the things that I always say is if I do that, it does decrease the value if I sign it. But, but um, I will be happy to do that. And if you can't get one today and you can't find your way to a family bookstore or to Barnes & Noble, it is available online at Amazon.com, Walmart.com, Target.com. You can go pretty much and check it out and find out all the retail outlets at 41willcome.com. We even made an audio book. I narrated it. So if you would like me to read to you, it could be kind of creepy, but we can do that as well. All right. And for the, in the Kindle, <laughs> Kindle version is also available for for all of you that prefer to read electronically on your devices. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get right into our message this morning. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? We thank you, Jesus, for this amazing church. I thank you for a church that's unashamed of your presence. I thank you for a church that has a spirit of excellence that is reaching people, that is making disciples, and for the opportunity that we all have to be here today. We don't have to be here. We get to be here. We get to receive from you. We get to worship you. And I just pray, God, over these next few moments that you will deposit something into all of our hearts. I pray Lord, that our faith will be fueled, that hope will be instilled, that we will leave this place trusting you to answer our prayers, to meet our needs. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, about a year and a half ago, my family and I took spring break, and we went to the Chicago area. We ended up in a hotel that had an indoor water park. Have you ever been to one of those? They seem to be popping up more and more. And this place was incredible. They had a, a lazy river and a wave pool. Their kids section was just unbelievable, full of all kinds of slides. I mean, the kids section was almost good enough for the adults, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, there were giant buckets of water dumping and water cannons that would shoot. And that's where my little boy hung out all day. But then they also had stuff for the big kids like me. 
And my daughter and I, we hung out on these slides. There were tube slides that would go outside the building through the concrete walls. They were completely enclosed. And then they would come back into the building. But the main attraction of this indoor water park was a five-story funnel slide. And just, just picture a, a funnel that you would use to put oil in your car and imagine that being five stories high. That's this ride. And you would start out at the top. They would shoot you out of this chute so fast that you would fly to the top of this funnel. And then you would slowly start coming around. And the closer you got to the drain, you would slow down. It would suck you into this drain and then send you down a final chute and land you in a pool. This was awesome, just so you know. And every single time my daughter was launched out of the first shoot, she screamed louder than the front row of a Taylor Swift concert. I mean, just, ah, I'm not even going to do it. All right. And she wasn't screaming because she was afraid. She was screaming out of sheer jubilation. I believe it was probably the best moment of her life. And every single time she wrote it, she screamed. And every time she screamed, my son could hear her in the kids section. All right. Let me back up. When she screamed, everyone in the park could hear her, all right? So by the end of the day, my little boy realized he was missing out, and he was right. So he came up to me, and he said, Dad, I want to ride the big slide. I said, all right, man, let's go. And up all the stairs, we went five stories. We get to the top. We're in line, and I'm kind of wondering if he's tall enough to even ride. He's just a little dude, and they have that little... That ruler, you have to be so tall to be able to ride. We had to get him up on his tippy toes, and he barely got the green light. So we got ready to get in the raft, and he did what a lot of kids do, and he changed his mind. So I did what any good father would do, and I forced him to go on the raft. He said, Dad, I don't want to go. I'm too scared. And then I, I said something I probably shouldn't have. I said, don't worry, bro. It's not scary. All right? And I lied to him. Just so you know, I lied. I have since repented. Jesus, forgive me. Don't judge me. All right? And I said, oh, no. Listen, bro, we just walked up five stories worth of stairs, and the only way down is in the raft. So get on. So we got on, and out we went. That first shoot, he was not happy. <laughs> He was white as a sheet as we went to the top. His little knuckles were on those little grips of, in the handles of that two-person raft. And I thought in that moment, at least the worst is over. We, we made it. And I was wrong again. We finally, we, we slowed down and we went around and we went around. And right before we went into the drain to go down the final chute, something happened that had not happened all day long. And that is the raft spun around backwards. So now we're going down backwards. I'm thinking to myself, this is not good. I'm much heavier than him. He's up here, way up here. So when we hit that pool, we were going so fast that the raft turned into a catapult. And it shot him up in the air. And it was like time stood still. And in slow motion, I'm like, no! I mean, have you ever been to a circus and seen someone shot out of a cannon? That's what it looked like in this moment. I reached up to try to just, just yank him down by his foot. 
his head, <laughs> his hand, anything. Just, and I couldn't. He was out of my reach. That's how high he was. He was so up in the air. And he just went flying upside down, somersaulting into the water, head first, down to the bottom. I'm freaked out. I jumped off that raft, swam under the water, grabbed him, hoisted him up out of the water in the air, looked him in the face and said, wasn't that awesome? <laughs> And he said no. <laughs> said it wasn't. And my wife didn't think it was awesome either. Yeah, you ladies are all shaking your heads. The guys are all shaking their head like this. <laughs> well, just as funny as that story is, and in, in the same way, and maybe not the exact same way, but I believe just like I launched my son into orbit on a raft, I really believe that today God wants to launch dreams in this house. He wants to launch dreams that are in your heart. Psalms 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires. Everybody say desires. The desires of your heart. So I want to ask you, what desire is in your heart? We're going to launch those. But I really believe a number of people here today, you've given up on your dream. You've been told it can't happen. Some of you have shared your dream or vision with the wrong people and they've shot that down and because of negativity, you've laid your dream down and today is the day to pick it back up, to dust it off and to give it back to God because I believe with all of my heart something will happen when we do that. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. Everybody say, whatever I do. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Why? Because when you take your plans and make them His plans, His plans don't fail. So we're going to set some things into motion this morning. We're going to believe by faith that God is going to answer our prayers. He is going to cause our dreams to come true. Our 41 is going to come. In fact, everybody say 41. Now, I know that a lot of you are probably wondering, what does that mean? So let me tell you. Throughout Scripture, the number 40 oftentimes represents a season of waiting. A lot of times, it's even more than a season of waiting. It can become a season of just of trial and, and endurance. But the number 41 in Scripture, whether it's day 41 or year 41, represents the breakthrough. It represents the new beginning. A new chapter, if you will. And while you're thinking upon that, let me give you some actual examples in Scripture. In Genesis, at the very beginning, it rained for how many days and how many nights? 40. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And on day 41, the rain stopped. Moses, he committed murder and then hid on the backside of a desert for 40 years. 41 came and he received a second chance when he was commissioned by God to be the rescuer of Israel. Then the children of Israel, after they were rescued from Egypt, they went through the Red Sea on dry ground. You know where they ended up? In a wilderness. You know for how long? 40 years. But 41 came and a new generation entered the promised land. Goliath, the great giant, bullied and taunted the army of Israel for 40 days, twice a day, for 40 days. But 41 came, and David slew Goliath. Jonah went to Nineveh 
Anyone want to take a guess how many days? <laughs> Forty. Forty days, and his task was to deliver a message of doom and gloom that God was going to wipe out their city of more than 120,000 people because of its wickedness. But 41 came, and instead God extended grace and mercy because the people responded with repentance. One translation literally says that God changed his mind. Everybody say 41. A couple examples in the New Testament. Jesus fasted and prayed in the wilderness for 40 days as preparation to do what he came from heaven to earth to do. Scripture says that the enemy came at him and tempted him, tried to take him out before he even began. Just like he's tried to stop you from fulfilling your vision, your dreams, your destiny. But Jesus spoke the word. 41 came, angels showed up, the devil fled, and Jesus launched his epic ministry. That ministry included opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, making the lame walk, hanging out and loving the sinners, raising the dead, then he went to the cross, was raised from the grave, and after he was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples for 40 days before he ascended back to heaven. And during those 40 days, he commissioned them to preach the gospel. 41 came, the Holy Spirit showed up, the disciples were empowered. Peter got up and preached with boldness, and 3,000 people got saved. That's how the church began. And it's been more than 2,000 years later, and here we are. We're the church, amen? Still being used by God, and he wants us to dream. He wants us to dream big, but oftentimes we go through life, and life beats us up, but it feels like we have been in a rainstorm for 40 days. Some of you are like, no, I was in a rainstorm for 40 days. Some of you feel like you've been in a wilderness season for 40 years, whether it's a, a literal 40 years or just a, a number of years or a number of days where you're in this desert and you need desperately God to intervene in your home and answer your prayers and meet your needs and heal your body. He is El Shaddai, the God who's big enough to do that if we won't quit during that season. Some of you this morning are facing a giant that stands between you and your destiny, you and your dream. And this morning you sit here in fear, and I believe that your faith is going to be fueled so you can slay that giant so 41 can come in your life. Maybe you need a, a second chance or a new beginning. You need God's grace and mercy. It is here to be received. The question is, will I hold on? Or I give up. Look at so next to you say, don't quit. Your story's not over. You're not defeated. If you will hang on to God and trust Him, 41 will come. You know, several years ago, I had the opportunity to be the chaplain of a professional indoor football team. So I don't know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with arena football, but it's like tackle hockey. It's pretty awesome. All right? And God opened up the door, and I had the opportunity to serve as the chaplain for this team for seven seasons. But during our inaugural season, we made it to the playoffs. Had a great year. Football, indoor football was playing Peoria. There was pandemonium. We made it to the semifinal. Semifinal game. This is the game in which you just win or go home. We win, we go to the Gold Cup. It's the indoor of, uh, the, uh, basically the Super Bowl of indoor football. 
And I had 15 minutes with the guys who chose to come to chapel before the game. And I shared this message with them. As Pastor Brad said, my, my, this life message is, at that point, it wasn't a book idea. It was just a, a sermon, a message called 41 Will Come. And I gave all the examples to them that I just gave to you. And I was talking about football, but I was also talking about their life in general. But one of the last things I said to them was this. There's 9,000 people upstairs. As you're fighting this indoor war today, no matter what happens on the field, if you get stuck on 40, don't quit because what? 41 will come. They went up, they played, and they won the game. Isn't that cool? Yes. Here's what's amazing. Remarkable, if you will. The final score of that game was 41 to 40. Can we stop and give God praise right there for that? Because I'm not smart enough to orchestrate that. I'm not the reason we won the game. I didn't even play. And my message is not the reason the score was 41 to 40. But God used it. I mean, God had a plan. And God used it to speak to the players, to the coaches, to the team, to myself, and now hopefully to you. In fact, it wasn't in, until the way home from that game that I had the idea to put it into book form. I was so excited that we won that the score had not even registered in my mind. I was on the field running around with all the other crazy people, high-fiving guys and high-fiving players, and I was yelling, a 41 came, baby. But as in, we won. We're going to the Super Bowl of indoor football. But on the way home, my friend Mike, he was just sitting there, not saying anything. We're listening to the post-game show. And finally, he just looked at me, he shook his head, and he said, man, Chuck, I can't believe the score. I said, I know, 41 to 40. And I almost drove off the road in that moment. Like, oh, my goodness. And it was in that moment that God put this vision in my heart to write this book. But that was more than 15 years ago. And during that 40-day period or 40-year walk through the wilderness, I had several moments and opportunities to quit. There was a time where I felt like nothing was happening. I talked about it. I preached about it. I prayed about it, but I felt like nothing was happening. I wasn't working on it. But even though in that moment I wasn't working on it, guess who was? God was. He was working behind the, thing, behind the scenes, setting up divine appointment after appointment after appointment. And the end result, more than 15 years later, was to hear this was released just three months ago. What's awesome about this story is I'm just like you. You're just like me. God's no respecter of person. What dream do you need to pick back up today? Today is a day where we have got to trust God. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled, a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. I believe that God wants your dreams to come true more than you do. So we need to dream so big that the only way that we could ever accomplish them is if he steps in. In other words, if you can accomplish your dream by yourself and you don't need God, then your dream's not big enough. We need to dream big. Look at someone next to you and say, dream big.
If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. This is the epic showdown of David and Goliath. I preached this message for the very first time in fifth grade. David and Goliath. Let's check it out. 1 Samuel 17, verse 3. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills. There was a valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. It says he was more than nine feet tall. His bronze armor weighed 125 pounds. Verse 7 says that his spearhead alone weighed 15 pounds. And then his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you, you're only the servants of Saul. The enemy always has a way of taking digs at us, doesn't he? He loves to belittle you, cause you to feel insignificant. He can do anything he can to get you to believe that you're not worthy, you're not good enough, that you could never amount to anything, that your dream could never come true. And some of you have been told that by your own family members. But today, we're going to shake that off. We're going to believe God. We're going to believe what God's Word says. I felt like this. My wife and I, when we, when we planted a church, came back home, oh, Chucky's starting a church. It's only Chucky. And this is what the enemy is doing. He's, he's bullying them, causing them to be afraid. He says, choose one man to come down here and find me. Verse 9 says, if he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified, it says. They were deeply shaken. Have you been there before? Have you been bullied? Anyone here ever been bullied before? I was bullied in seventh grade. Every single day, this little kid, not a big kid, would come up and punch me in the arm every single day in gym class. It happened so much, I did not want to go to school. I was afraid to ride my bus. I hated school because I knew during gym class, I was going to get a Charlie horse. And this kid was going to laugh. He didn't want to beat me up, but he just thought it was funny to punch me every day. So you know what I did about it? Nothing. I just took it. And one of the reasons I didn't do anything about it was because of an experience I had in fifth grade when I tried to do something about it. There was a couple of kids in our neighborhood that were bullies, and they were always just messing with me and my friend John. And one day we had enough. And the reason we had enough is because there was a fence that separated us. I felt safer because of this fence. There's a valley between the Israelites and the Philistines. Goliath saying, come down to the valley to fight me. Nobody would move. I didn't think these kids would respond. So one day they were mouthing off at us and cussing us. And I just said, hey, man, well, let's fight. And they said, okay, and they hopped the fence. I wanted to take those words back. I'm not a fighter. I did not want to fight. But I just looked at my friend and said, okay, man, you get the big dude. I'll get the little guy. And this little guy who was shorter than me stood staring at me, but he began to run his mouth. And in that moment, I said, enough is enough. I made a fist, and I swung at his face as hard as I could. 
But right before I landed my punch, I had a change of heart, and I slapped him. I turned in my man card in fifth grade, just so you know. This is why I love to watch Hallmark movies with my wife. That's why. I think it all started in the fifth grade when I slapped him. And then I didn't just slap him. He was more shocked than you are, just so you know. He was just like, seriously, bro, looking right back at me. And then I said this to him. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I don't want to fight. But what I didn't know was my buddy had taken off running. Next thing you know, my arms go behind me, and the little kid who I just want to give a hug to, he makes a fish, and he lands it right in my eye. And I ran home crying. And I was afraid to ride my bike for several weeks after that. It impacted me. And that's where we're at in this story. The nation of Israel is terrified. But then David enters the story. And when David enters the story, hope enters the story. It says this in verse 16, For 40 days, every morning and evening, this Philistine champion, he strutted in front of the Israelite army, facing each other, verse 21 says. Army against army. Just like some of you are facing a giant in your own life this morning. Verse 23 says, As David was talking with his brothers. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, and it says, then David heard him. He heard him shout his usual taunt, but as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Three significant words. David heard him. David heard the enemy, just like you've heard the enemy. The question is, how will you respond to those words because the nation of Israel I should say the army of Israel sat there and heard his taunt for 40 consecutive days twice a day but because of fear responded with silence David heard the same exact words of the enemy but because of faith stepped onto a battlefield today we're going to step onto a battlefield we're going to put our foot down we're not going to run away from the enemy any longer but we're going to run at the enemy like David did amen if we're going to do that, there's a couple things that, that we need to do. Number one, we need to smash fear in the mouth. The word in 1 Samuel, it doesn't say anywhere that, that David wasn't afraid. It just says that he fought Goliath. and He defeated Goliath. Courage isn't an absence of fear. Courage is being willing to step on the battlefield anyway. And that's exactly what David did. And the reason he did it is because in his heart, he believed his God was bigger than the giant he was about to fight. And that's what we have to believe in. In fact, most of the time, our fears aren't rational anyway. I mean, I used to be scared to jump off a high dive. And then once I did it, I loved it. And I did it over and over and over again. Same thing with roller coasters, for those of you that love amusement parks. Years ago, I was a youth pastor in Sandusky, Ohio, and I had a season pass to a place called Cedar Point. There's no place better than that, just so you know, when it comes to amusement parks. They, they always have the world's tallest and fastest something. And at this time, they had the world's tallest and fastest steel roller coaster. It was called the Magnum. And at the top, it would overlook Lake Erie. It was majestic. 
And I talked my sister into making this the very first roller coaster that she would ever ride. I'm 10 years older than her, by the way, too. And she was ready. We stood in line for four days, and then we finally got up <laughs> to ride the ride. And she did what my son Ashton did on the water slide. She changed her mind. So I said, come on, Sherry, you, we've been in line forever. You've got to get on. She's like, no, I'm just going to wait. I'm like, no, you don't make me go by myself. You've got to go. She said, no way, I am not doing it. I said, listen, just get in. On the way up, if you freak out, you can push a button, and they will stop the ride and let you off. I know what you're thinking. This guy is a bad dad. He's a horrible brother. I know. Pray for me. <laughs> well, she believed me. And she got on. We get towards the top, and I'm just taking in the sights. The view is awesome. And I said, Sherry, look at Lake Erie. And her head was between her legs, so she wasn't seeing any of it. She was just so scared. I said, Sherry, nothing. She wouldn't budge. Sherry, I thought she was passed out. She wasn't. I'm like, Sherry! I said, do you want me to push the button? And then she sat up. I said, yes. And I said, sorry, no button. Woo! And down we went. It was, man, hallelujah. It was. <laughs> Here's what's funny. After she forgave me, to this day, she loves roller coasters. She overcame. Yeah, I say, you're welcome, Sherry. That's what I, that's my response. I helped her smash fear in the mouth. But she could have allowed fear to prevent her for the last several years from having lots of enjoyment. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, Rob, not given you a spirit of what? Fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The reality is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. You don't need to be afraid of the devil. The reality is he's afraid of you. Amen? We just have to trust His Word. So the question, how will you respond to the Goliaths in your own life? Will you smash fear in the mouth and step on the battlefield? Or will you tuck tail and run? We don't have to be afraid. I used to have a wiener dog that was not afraid of pit bulls or any other dog, but he was afraid of house flies. <laughs> if a fly got in the house, he would hide under a toilet. Like, Buster, you don't have to be afraid of a fly, right? And that's how it is with us. We don't have to be afraid of the devil. Amen? So when the enemy lies to you and says, you'll never get free, you'll never get healed, your kid will never come back to Christ, you'll never get that startup business off the ground, you'll never receive that healing, how will you respond? Will you believe him and listen and tuck tail or respond with silence and do nothing or will you step on a battlefield and fight? If you're going to fight, we have to smash fear in the mouth. Number two, we have to shake off doubt and doubters. Both. The enemy will creep in and cause you to begin to question your own dreams. Have you ever shared your dream with somebody and been excited about it to have them respond by saying, well, that's stupid. Why would you want to do that? Or there's no way you can do that. You expect that from the enemy, but you don't expect that from people you live with. You don't expect that from people you love. David's own brothers after he said he was going to fight Goliath, their response was, go home. David's own king, you would think he would be happy. He would be excited. I have an entire army. They're all scared. Nobody will fight. Well, here's somebody that's going to do something. But King Saul told David this, you can't fight Goliath. There's no way you can fight him and defeat him. How's that for positive reinforcement? 
But David didn't receive his vision from man. He received it from God. Back to Proverbs 16.3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Because when you offer to God, your plans become his plans. This was something that God had placed within David's heart. He decided to do it anyway. We have got to shake off doubt. We have to shake off doubters. Haters are going to hate. And I'm not saying to shake off wise counsel. You know, Proverbs says there is safety in a multitude of counselors. But if God tells you to do something, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. We have to obey God. I'll close with this story. There was um, about a little more than a year ago, my family and I had a game night. And we decided to, to play Uno. Are you familiar with Uno? So we, we played Uno, and um, there's only four of us, but we got in teams. It was my daughter, Savannah, and I against my, my son, Ashton, and, and my wife. And um, we played the first game, and we beat him. And the reason we beat him is because I cheated. But, um, but nonetheless, and I wanted to see how my son would respond, because he he's little, and he's still learning to lose gracefully, gracefully, has a ways to go. And he was so upset. Parents who have kids like this, they have to win every time. And I'm like, you know what? Let's see how he acts, how he responds. And he was all upset and whining. And he was really upset that they lost. So finally, I'm like, dude, chill out. I cheated, all right? We didn't even really beat you. Let's play again. We played again. This game went on for a long, long time. But in the end, my wife and son beat my daughter and I. Okay. But then my son did something. He got up and began to gloat. Yeah, he began to get in my face and to dance around. He began to take his victory lap. Then he put his hand like this and was in my face saying, loser, loser, loser. And I'm like, what has gotten into my son? And it was like, come out! Name yourself! Minecraft! No, I'm kidding. Not really. I'm like, <laughs> Like, what is God? Then he, he took it to another level. I, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you what he did, but I'm going to tell you. He mooned me. <laughs> then he turned around and he started jumping up and down in my face. I'm like, I can't have this. So I'm so sorry, but I mooned him back. But I had to take it to the next level to give him a little taste. So I stood up on a chair, and I turned around, and I let him have it. But guess what? The legs gave out in the chair, and I fell, and I landed on my ribs and just about cracked my ribs, rolled over onto my stomach. Now I am exposed to my family, and I can't breathe. And they did what you're doing. They laughed at me. They're all standing around pointing at me and laughing at me. By the way, we call the game Muno in our house now. It's called Muno. But they're just pointing and laughing and laughing. And it reminds me of Micah chapter 7, 8, because this is what the devil does. I know I'm comparing my family to the devil. I'm sorry about that. But this is what the enemy does to us. He stands over us, points at us when we're down. He kicks us when we're down. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's like a kick in the gut. And then he mocks us, and he makes us believe that we can never make it. But Micah chapter 
7, verse 8 says, Do not gloat over me, O my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will get back up. Amen. So today is the day that we're going to get back up. We're going to pick our dreams back up. We're going to offer them to God so He can cause those longings to become a tree of life. Amen. Amen.